0: Good morning everyone this morning we are in Matthew chapter 4 what an important chapter it is where we begin as Jesus is going to be led into the spirit by the spirit into the wilderness and he's gonna be tempted by the devil and here's an interesting question that I think will be defined the answer will be defined proper response will be defined today Okay, we know that the Word of God is something to believe. The question is, how are we to view the Word of God? Uh, Maybe a better way to put it is, how does the Bible teach us, and in this instance, how does Jesus teach us that we are to view the Word of God? And I think it's really a critical and important question. You know, really life comes down to how you view God's word. Um, You know, if you don't believe in it, you might not even be Christian. Uh, If you only believe in it a little bit and you think some parts of it are true and some parts are not, it's going to be very difficult to be an Orthodox Christian. And I think you're going to be led wayward if you don't trust in and revere the word of God. So... Uh, some may say, "Ah, oh, well, you don't have to have such a, a strong view, or you don't have to have such a, um, I don't know what the word would be, I guess right now, but such a dogmatic view, such a, um, such a, a view that holds it so maybe strictly. If you wanted, if someone wanted to try to paint it in a negative picture, so there's a lot of different views out there, right?" So the question would be, how does the Bible instruct us? How does Jesus instruct us to view the word of God? And are we viewing it the way that Jesus said and the way that the Bible teaches? Um, That's a a critical thing. So in verse 2, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, So the devil's coming to Jesus, and I think they both know each other. I think Jesus knows right away uh, that he can't trust the devil. And I think the devil knows exactly who Jesus is. But I think the devil tries to bait Jesus, he tries to draw Jesus into sin. And he knows that Jesus is the Son of God. But he says, if you are the Son of God, it's almost like. Jesus, prove yourself. Why don't you show me that you actually are powerful? And it's like he could, and he is, but he's just right away like, no, I ain't falling for Satan's tactics, which I think is really wise on his part. So Satan says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But look how Jesus answers. But he answered and said, and I I love this. It is written. And, you know, that, that is a profound statement that is going to be displayed repeatedly in this passage. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, it's interesting. Jesus could have did this. And I don't know that it would have been so wrong. He hadn't eaten 40 days. Uh, he probably was hungry and wanted to eat, and he could have just showed his power and just turn, turned turned uh, these stones into bread and ate and be like, "Here you go, devil! Look what I can do." But he was not gonna even like go there with the devil. He wasn't gonna fall for any of his bait. He's not gonna he's not gonna play with the devil. And I I I think there's a lesson there. Do you see? Um, I think sometimes the devil would like to get inside of our lives or mess with our thinking or get us to create problems or conflict or handle things in a inappropriate way, and we can't we don't want to play with him don't begin partnering with don't even begin to, to begin with the devil right and Jesus says it is written, so he turns to A passage in Deuteronomy. Now, before we even get to the passage, think about how profound this is. When Jesus is resisting the devil, he is going to resist him based on the Old Testament word of God. Now, the New Testament is being written right now by Matthew. So Jesus doesn't even have, you know, the documented New Testament word to rely on. Otherwise, he could have quoted that. But instead, he's quoting the word that exists in his day. And he's saying, how I choose to do what's right and wrong, how I choose to think, how I choose to respond, it is based on what is written. I value what is written. Jesus, our Lord, reveres the word of God. And he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word. It's so profound and powerful. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and what is the word of God? It is God breathed. It proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how Jesus views the word. That's how Bible, the Bible views the word. And it's more powerful than real bread. He's saying it, it has, it, it, it sustains me more than real bread. It is my source of truth. It is written. And I rely on the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. And that's what the word of God is to me. It's something that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Oh, dear church, that we would view the word of God the way Jesus did and the way that the Bible teaches us to. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written And Isn't that interesting? So now the devil's like, oh, so Jesus is going to rely on the word of God. Let me see if I can twist the meaning of God's word and use God's word as a means to try to deceive Jesus because that's he's that's the source he's going to use and that's what happens today is there's people who are deceiving twisting using God's word out of context and it's really important that we know the word revere the word and know the whole thing too right because somebody if they wanted to prove a point could try to prick a verse, one verse out and say, oh, see, this is what you're supposed to do because of this verse. Well, we need to see that verse in light of where it was written and who wrote it. And like, what was the context that that verse was even in a B now that we know what that verse means in context, we need to see what that, how that verse compares to the whole of scripture. And once we've done that, now we can get a proper understanding of what that verse means in the whole and that's why i'm so thankful for those of you who are going through this bible reading plan if you haven't done it yet and you're doing it now you're going to finally have read the whole and you're going to be able to place a verse that someone teaches or that you hear and you're going to be able to reflect on that as it fits into the whole of god's word and until you know the whole of god's word you really can't do that so it's very easy to get sidetracked by a teacher or by a verse because you don't know the maybe the contradicting or people don't like that word, you know, the, but you don't know the balance of God's word in order to um, to really understand truth. So the devil here is going to pick a word and because it, it, as he says, the devil says, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So he's trying to trick Jesus into jumping off the temple because the angels are going to protect him. And Jesus said to him, "See now look at Jesus isn't denying that that is the word of God that Satan used. He's just using it out of context or not balancing it with the rest of the scripture. So Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, so Jesus, knowing the full counsel of God's words, like, okay, yeah, angels do protect us, but you know what? You're not supposed to jump off a building because angels and God are real. Like that's not how you're supposed to respond to God because he's real. I'm just going to go do something stupid and jump off a building. Uh, So, you know, praise God. And, and, and what did it say? On the other hand, it is written. So what is Jesus using again as his guide, his truth, the word of God, he, He honors, reveres, believes in the word of God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, the devil, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And this is where, you know, Satan's just gone too far. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? There's no way I'll do that. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And I love Jesus's words. And I love that he just says, go away, Satan. And, you know, we could get into it. There's teachers out there that will say, you know, if you're being tempted by the devil, you, you know, you can't speak to the devil or you can't rebuke the devil or whatever. I'll tell you what, if I am sitting here and I'm, Thinking about life and decisions or whatever. And if I feel like the devil's trying to twist things in my mind, or if I sense that I'm going in an improper direction and maybe being deceived by the devil, I, in my mind, I'm like, Lord, I trust you away from me, devil. I ain't listening to you. You're garbage. Jesus, protect me. Be with me. You know, you call that for what it wants. I'm following my Savior as far as I'm concerned. And he said, go, Satan. And I think if we see that Satan is messing in our lives or in our families, we don't want to entertain him. Go to the word of God, and and, and in the name of Jesus, leave me. Um, the power is in Jesus, not in me. But um, I believe that that's appropriate, and it's appropriate based on what what Jesus said right here. Now, when Jesus heard that John... Had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And there they're going to quote a passage from Isaiah regarding, um, you know, Jesus coming to different lands and bringing a great light Uh, and from that time jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you remember you might remember the john said this earlier uh, as well that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that that's a really interesting concept and You know, there's a lot of debate about that, and it can get too far gone. But, you know, Jesus said in his prayer later on in Matthew 6, when he was teaching the apostles how to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done uh, on heaven as it is on earth. And we are supposed to bring heavenly living down to earth. We are supposed to live as though we can live to serve God's kingdom here. And in a sense, God's kingdom has come through Jesus, and and now we live in the era where the Holy Spirit is here. But yet the fullness of the kingdom of God is not now. So the fullness is when Jesus returns and he when he returns as a king. But you know what? We can choose to have Jesus as our king and our Lord right now. The church can in believing in him. And we can seek to live as though this is Jesus' kingdom now. So there's a measure that we can live for the kingdom of God that is now, but there is still yet a future kingdom that's going to come in its fullness where sometimes the error comes in as some people will preach as though the fullness of the kingdom is right now. And a measure of it is the kingdom of God is at hand, but the fullness is still to come in the second coming. Um, now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." You know, they were doing this as a means of not entertainment, but as a means of business fishing, and he said, "I'm going to make you fishers." Of men, it's a powerful passage. In, in another gospel account, it says, Come, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Come to become like Jesus said, Come to me so that you can become, and in this sense, fishers of men. You know, Jesus was all about people, Jesus was all about reaching people, helping people ministering to people. Um, it's not just what you know. It's about how what you know impacts how you minister to other people. Jesus came to minister to men. And he came to make his church, those who believe in him, he wants them to focus on others and helping others to be fishers of men. And, and that doesn't just mean evangelism it means serving other men being a blessing to other men and women inviting other men and women to church helping other men and women to to know using your gifts to bear fruit in the lives of other people this is what jesus's ministry is about and immediately they left their nets and followed him now uh we man that's that's an interesting statement there it makes it seem here that uh, this is the first time he met them, and that they just dropped everything the first time they met him. But that's not, that's not what actually happened. Uh, if you read in the Gospel of John, John will reveal that Jesus met these men and ministered to them for a season and then came to them later as we're reading now. So this isn't Jesus' first introduction to these men. They got to know him, witness him, see him. Then, eventually, he came. It wasn't real long, but eventually, he came and said, uh, "Now's the time. Come follow me. Like leave what you're doing." So he did get to know them for a season first, and then they and then they followed him. The way that you can um, see that is when John goes into prison. Because uh, John the Baptist and Jesus had co-ministries for a while, but eventually John got taken uh, into prison. So, in fact, if we read that in verse twelve. Uh, I'm not going to get into this full teaching today, but you can you can examine it if you want. Um, Matthew four twelve. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew to Galilee. See, so so Matthew's picking up the ministry par- partially because he wasn't there for all the early parts of the ministry. Matthew is one of the apostles, but he got he came to Jesus a little bit later, um, not like when Jesus met John and James and Peter and Nathaniel and stuff like that. So he wasn't there at that early ministry. So Matthew's picking this up after John had been taken into custody, but you'll see that John actually didn't get taken into custody for quite some time. So Jesus, before these guys left everything and followed him, they had all that time when they were doing co-ministry with John the Baptist that they got to know Jesus. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but it's it's interesting to study that. So immediately they left their nets and following him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father. So you now this is the apostle John. Well, again, Jesus and John, you know, were together very early on before he left everything men mending their nets and he called them immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him <clears throat> it's interesting it, it, you know if you only read this and you didn't know better it'd be like oh jesus just met them they dropped everything and followed and they just left their father right there first of all it was an honor to follow a rabbi <clears throat> it was to be chosen to follow a rabbi was a great honor in that day and their father at this point, seeing who Jesus was, uh, the, the wedding at Cana had happened. Um, you know, Jesus had done miracles already at this point, And their father was like, probably like, go follow. Like, it wasn't like they were just like leaving their father behind. It was like, I'm sure his, their father was supportive of following such a great rabbi like Jesus was showing. Jesus was going through out all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel the good news of the kingdom and healing, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people look at how Jesus ministered to the people in fact you know this was something that's been very profound in in my life and it, it's so very different than what the church does today but if you if you really follow Jesus's ministry how he trained disciples is he went about The world ministering to people with his disciples, with him. Think of the training that they received. They learned how to minister to others. They learned how to share the gospel with others. They learned how to preach and talk to others because they went with Jesus while he ministered to others. And then, you know, eventually, as we get into, excuse me, if we were to go to Luke like 9 and 10, which is later on in Jesus' ministry, he he sends them out a couple of different times on their own and says sends them out two by two, and then they go and do the ministry, and then he comes back and report. They come back and report to Jesus all that they did and how God had used them, but that's not until later. But see, by then they were already trained because they had followed Jesus while he was doing the ministry. It, it, it's, uh, you know, if, did you know that if you were to start a Culver's restaurant, restaurant, let's say you wanted to open one, you had the money to, to open one, build a new Culver's and start one. The way that they train you, if you're going to be an owner of a new Culver's, is before you open your store, you will go to another town, maybe another state, you'll have to be in a hotel for a while, and you will partner with the owner of another store, and you will help them launch their Culver's you'll help them get theirs from scratch open and get the employees trained and learn how to use all the equipment and all that. And then after you've actually experienced launching a Culver's, now you'll launch yours. And then someone's going to come that's going to launch another Culver's and they're going to come help you. And, you know, if you become a doctor, did you know that before you perform surgery, even though you learn how to do it in school, you become an apprentice or you 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 watch another doctor perform surgery. And then eventually, it's basically discipleship. Then eventually you'll do surgery with another doctor uh, watching you. And then eventually you don't need that doctor with you anymore. Now you're doing surgery on your own. That's how we train people, whether it be a plumber, an electrician, you know, you become an apprentice, you learn from someone who knows how to do it better than you. And that's what Jesus did. That was the nature of Jesus' discipleship. Sadly, it's been largely lost today. We don't really make disciples the way Jesus made them back then. Today, we do it all within the confines of the church, without actually doing real ministry. And and a lot of times, that's why um, people aren't real equipped to bear fruit and minister to others because they haven't actually learned how. And um, we're so accustomed to that type of ministry in the church today that we just come to the church and that. Uh, you know, it's 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 challenging to get people to actually do ministry because they don't really feel like that's part of the church anymore. Um, and yet Jesus didn't even have a church. Isn't that interesting? He didn't have a church building. All he did is go out with his disciples and, and make them disciples and minister to people on the countryside. So, yeah, there is a little bit of an issue there. Um, the news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, uh, demoniacs, epile- epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. What a beautiful thing. I, I am, uh, man, I'm like, um, it, it, it makes me feel like a little bit of shame, like how much Jesus spent time with people who needed help. And how he helped others, and uh you know that's a as I feel like it's our responsibility to serve others and bear fruit. <clears throat> it makes me you know our culture's different, our hospitals are different you know um healing's a little bit different I mean people can still be healed, but you know it, it is a little bit different we don't always have the power that Jesus had so now how do we how do we live today this verse twenty five large crowds followed him. From Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. People were flocking to his ministry and what he did. So Jesus taught his guys to minister to people and he was always looking out for others. How can he help others? How can he teach others the gospel? How can he be a fisher of men? And, you know, that's one of the things that I'm trying to do in our church is I'm trying to help us to focus on others. and. You know, I challenge myself all the time and I feel like, you know, I feel like I run into selfishness. It's really easy just to focus on me or what I know and, and not be about others. But I, I really do think about God, how can I, how can my life be used for others? As an example, I just want to give you an example. I um, So we moved not that long ago, uh, a few months ago, and we live, we have a shared driveway. So we have someone who lives... Uh, closer to the road, and so we've gotten to know them a little bit, not much, and then there's another driveway right next to ours, and there's two homes off that driveway, and the person who lives off one of those driveways is like kind of the original developer of this land. They had all this land and eventually made lots and stuff like that. They're an older couple, Uh, understand that they're Christian, don't really know about the other two families that live off our driveway, but you know, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, And <clears throat> I talked to Kelly and said, hey, Kelly, can we invite them over? And so I went out and and made like a invitation and put it all on their front doors and uh, invited them over uh, next weekend. And we're going to just do some, you know, snacks and appetizers and just fellowship and, and get to know our neighbors. Um, one of them texted back actually it's the one who's a christian and and uh, they're like, "Oh, we're so glad you're here, Kind of ashamed that it takes the new neighbor to get us all together and I kind of know what she means i mean i uh I probably would have felt the same way as what what she's saying, but anyways, that's just something that we're trying to do to you know it be impact others, get to know our neighbors, hopefully encourage them in faith. who knows where that goes don't know but but uh." It just seems like the good and, and right thing to do. Uh, another thing that I, I did recently is, you know, I coached golf and, and uh, I, I, I resigned. I'm not going to do it um, next year, but I'm, I'm actually taking a bunch of the girls or I'm going to meet a bunch of the girls at a lesson that I helped set up with a golf pro. Uh, there's about seven of them uh, actually what day it's Saturday. That's today. Um, where there there's going to be a lesson and i'm going to continue to try to invest into those girls lives and be an influence to them they know i'm a pastor um one of them is a basketball player and she's pretty good and i went and watched her game and it was over thanksgiving and she had she had tons of family there the most family i thought probably that she's ever had at a game because they were all in for thanksgiving and she ended up having a great game high school, uh, varsity basketball game. I think she scored like 20 points. And I pretty much knew cause I saw her play last year. She's gotten a lot better. <clears throat> and, uh, she wasn't a starter last year. And so I was pretty sure it was her best game ever. And I, I texted her, this, this, this girl's never gone to church before in her life. Um, I, I had her and a few girls for coffee and she told me that. Well, anyways, I texted her and I said, Hey, I have a question for you. Was that the most, um, most family that you've ever had at a basketball game? And she got back to me eventually and she's like, yeah, that was the most I've ever had um, by far, you know? And then I said, hey, second question, was that the best game you've ever had in your life? <clears throat> and she's like, she got back to me. And she's like, well, I've had some AAU games that I've done pretty good. But as far as a high school game, yeah, that's my best game ever. And then I sent her a text and I said, interesting combination with praying hands and just trying to get her to think, you know, that that was a blessing, man. I mean, to have all of her family in town and for her to have the best game of her career in front of her family. And just trying to get her to think that, you know what? Who knows? Maybe that was a blessing from God. Just trying to get her to think about the Lord and she actually loved it. Uh so, you know, but that was just like it's just a little way I'm trying to think about how I can make an impact on other people. And I really think Church, this is how God wants us to live. It's not, it can be street evangelism, but that's not what I'm talking about. Talking about you being strategic, thinking through, knowing that God wants you to be a fisher of men. How can you live your life and just be more on point that God wants to use you to bear fruit? And how can you apply yourself to it? Man, if we each do that for the glory of God, I believe He's pleased. I believe that's the emphasis of why God has us here. Uh, I believe it gives Him honor and glory, and may we all just do our part, do our little part. You know, think about who you can invite to church too, and and who we can help to make a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's one of the greatest things we can do in all of life. God bless you all.